0: You would turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews is going to be towards the back of your Bible. If you get to James, you've gone a little too far. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the pew, it's going to be on page 944. Hebrews chapter 6, let's begin reading in verse 13. he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, the hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For many of you, there's probably a commercial jingle or a commercial that is always, like, always sticks in the back of your mind. Maybe it's Have It Your Way by Burger King or, or uh, McDonald's, I'm Loving It, whatever it might be. I remember a commercial from whenever I was uh, younger. And in the commercial, there was a Chevy truck, I'm sorry, a Ford truck, and it was driving across like a mountain and just rocky terrain, and this this truck looked tough. It looked rugged. And as the truck was driving across this rugged terrain, they played an old country song that said, like a rock, and it just kept saying that over and over again, oh, like a rock. Yeah, yeah, Teresa knows Yeah, she's bopping her head over there. We have a country music fan here. The point of that commercial, we can all see pretty clearly, right? Even by me just describing it. They wanted us to understand, as consumers, they wanted the people watching that commercial to know that Ford trucks were tough. They could handle anything that you threw at them. Drive them over a creek and a bog and a big sharp rock, and it's going to do just fine. I don't know if it was because of that commercial, but my dad bought a Ford F 150. And it was a good truck. It served our family well. Somehow we internalized that commercial that this truck was going to last, that this truck was going to be trustworthy. I wonder what the rock is in your life. Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your education. Maybe it's your 401k. Maybe that trustworthy and steadfast thing that holds firm and you know you can always count on is your spouse. Maybe today, on Mother's Day, when you think about that rock in your life, you think about your mother. She was the one who you could always call. She was the one who was always there for you. She was there whenever you had a skinned knee, whenever you were six years old. She was there when you had a broken heart when you were 17. She was there whenever you lost your job. Whatever it might be, when you think of that rock in your life, you think of your mother. Maybe today on Mother's Day, your mother is no longer with you. And as you think about Mother's Day, you think about the fact that that rock in your life is gone. All of us have these rocks in our life, these things in our life that we say that is trustworthy, that is true, I can count on that. Well, the scriptures tell us that we have a steadfast and a sure rock. We have a rock that lasts forever, a rock that will never fail, that will never fade, a rock on which we can cling at all times. Hebrews 6 verses 13 through 20, our text for today Tells us that Jesus is that rock. Jesus is a steadfast and a sure anchor. He is a fortress and a refuge on which we can hold and shall not be ashamed. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20, tells us that this steadfast and sure anchor, Jesus Christ our Savior, that He is a better rock, that He is a firm and a true foundation. Because we have both the promise and the promise keeper. In our time in Hebrews this morning, I want us to see three things. Pretty, pretty clear, pretty simple from our text this morning. First is the nature of the promise. Jesus is better, right? That's the message of all of Hebrews. All the horses are pulling in that direction. That Jesus is better than anything else. He's better than any other rock. He's better than a Ford F-150. He's better than a job, than an education, than the best 401k. He's better than any other religion. He's better than anything you can put your trust in. Why? Because God has made a promise to us. So I want us today to look at the nature of this promise. I want us to look at the nature of the promise keeper, and then I want us to look at the nature of the one who trusts in the promise. Our text today starts and really it's piggybacking off of verse twelve that says that we ought not to be sluggish. The last time we were in the book of Hebrews, we talked about how we need to be growing, we need to be moving on to maturity. If there is not fruit that is being born in the Christian life, then something is wrong. Then something is wrong, and we are almost certainly destined for destruction if there is not fruit. Don't be sluggish, but be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Now, what is a promise? I think this is something that we all know what a promise is. But we kind of live in a society that, that, that doesn't have promises anymore. Right? We have contracts, we might even have you know, guarantees, things like that. But a promise is whenever one person says something to another. And they mean what they say. That's, a, that's essentially what a promise is. So what does it mean to inherit the promises? Paul, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, or at least it was a sermon that he preached and, and then was transcribed. Perhaps he preached it multiple times and someone wrote it down for us. Paul is going to explain this promise for us more in these verses. Now, to to explain this promise to us, to understand what it means to inherit the promises, he's going to go back. Paul isn't just going to go back to the resurrection, which is good. He's not just going to go back to the cross, which is great. He's not just going to go back to the virgin birth of Christ, which is fantastic. He's going to go way back, way back, even before the book of Deuteronomy that we're studying now, and he goes back to Abraham, verse 13 tells us. That God made a promise to Abraham. We see this promise in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. And what did God promise Abraham? He said, I will make you into a great nation. Then he said, Then I'm going to give you a lot of babies and I'm going to give you a place to live. This land where you're A stranger right now, this land where you're walking around, Canaan, one day that's going to be yours. Your name is going to be on the deed. That was the promise that God made to Abraham. Verse 14 makes this very clear. Paul quotes the promise for us. Surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. The promise that God made to Abraham then... Verse 12 tells us that by faith we are inheritors of the same promise. Now how can that be? How can that be? Well, I believe that it is because the ultimate promise of Abraham to Abraham, the ultimate promise to Abraham was the promise of Christ. Look in verse 19. Paul says that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone, a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we'll talk more about Melchizedek in June. We'll have two sermons in a row where we will seek to understand who Melchizedek was and what that means. But a basic cursory understanding of this now is that Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Abraham brought an offering to Melchizedek. And in doing so, he was demonstrating his trust in God. And Paul tells us here that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So whenever Abraham is trusting in Melchizedek, whenever Abraham is bringing this to Melchizedek, Paul tells us that ultimately what he's doing is he is bringing this offering before God. He is trusting in Christ. And more than that, Hebrews tells us that we share the same hope, we share the same promise, we inherit the same promise that Abraham did, and we inherit the promise of Christ, and Abraham inherits the promise of Christ. The promise made to Abraham was greater than a little parcel of land on the Mediterranean. The promise that was made to Abraham was a promise of a Savior. And in fact, we see that it's the purpose of salvation that is the promise. Look in verse 16, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 17. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that is Abraham, that is Abraham's children, and their children and their children, and it is in fact us, And he desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. The promise of God was a purpose. It was God's will. It was his unfolding plan of salvation. So whenever we read the story of Abraham, we're not ultimately reading the story of Abraham. We're reading how the story moves us further and further and further towards Christ. Whenever we read the story of the Exodus, we're not simply reading the story of a group of people who walked through the Red Sea. We're reading the story of how God was bringing about salvation for all people. When we read the story of Esther, we don't just read the story of a queen who saved her people by bravery, We're reading the story of a God who was sovereign to make sure that his people were brought back to the land so that Christ could be born, so that he could live a perfect life on our behalf, so that he could die on the cross to save us from our sins, so that he might raise again from the dead. All of this is the purpose of salvation. All of this is the purpose of salvation. Now think about if if, if you were an Israelite, And you were living in Egypt prior to the exodus. What did you hang your hat on? Did you hang your hat on the fact that, oh, we have a really strong army? No, they had no army. They were enslaved. They hung their hat on the fact that God had made a promise to their forefather, Abraham, that they would enter the land. And so they trusted in him. Whenever it came time for them to slaughter the lamb and put the blood over the doorposts, why did they do that? Why did they trust in God's word to do that? Because God had made a promise to them. And by faith, they they put the blood over their doorposts. Why was Esther, why did she have the bravery, why did she have the courage to stand up to the most powerful tyrant in the world at the time? Was it because of her beauty? Was it because she thought she had such a good way with words? No, it's because she trusted in the God who had promised that her people would be delivered, that they would live in the land. The Bible is one story of God's unfolding plan of salvation. If I had a magic wand or a genie's lamp, I would use one of my three wishes I don't know if the genie could do this or not. But it would be what I would ask for. Is I would ask that there, there would be two pages in our Bibles changed. okay? And the first one is the one that says the Old Testament. And the second one is the one that says the New Testament. Because I think that it messes with our minds to think that it's two different books. That they're like Old Testament's over here. That's cool. But the New Testament, that's the one I really like. And I would ask that genie, say, hey, can you just change that to where it says God, instead of Old Testament, it says God's promises given. And the page that says New Testament, can you just change that to where it says God's promises fulfilled? Because that is what the Bible is. The Old Testament tells us that God was going to crush the head of the serpent. The Old Testament tells us that God was going to bring His people into the place, that Abraham would inherit a nation and a place. The Old Testament tells us in Isaiah that one was going to bear away our sin by His back being beaten, by being rejected by men. and the New Testament. the New Testament shows us, right The New Testament shows us that Christ crushed the head of the serpent, and he was victorious over the grave. The New Testament shows us that Christ was beaten, he was persecuted, he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And Romans 4, which we'll talk even more about a little bit later, tells us that Abraham inherited the promise, not for just a small parcel of land, but Abraham inherited the promise of inheriting the whole earth. God has given a promise to his people, I will bless you. I will multiply you. And he has fulfilled that promise in Christ. Everything that God promised in the Old Testament is brought to its completion. It's brought to its head in the first coming of Christ, where he died on the cross, was raised again for our justification, and will be made com- complete and consummated whenever he returns at his second coming. The nature of the promise is the gospel. The nature of the promise is the gospel. And as we read the Old Testament, my hope is that as we see that, as Paul is saying here, that the promise to Abraham is the promise to us. My hope is that that encourages our soul because it tells us here that we obtain this promise by faith. Romans 4 tells us the same thing. Our, Amy and I's house is, it's a little old. Uh, it, was, it was built in the 40s, and it's having all of those things that happen whenever you ha- have a house that's built in the 40s, and so we're constantly having to, we had to get a new air conditioner last year, and we have a big maple tree in our front yard, and the, the roots get down, and they, they clog up the drain, and the girls get what we call yucky bubbles down in the basement, so we have to uh, rot out the, the the drain every year. And so whenever we were, you know, looking for someone to replace our air conditioner, whenever we were looking for a plumber to come in, we didn't, like, start, you know, looking at commercials. We didn't start, you know, Googling pictures of, of, uh, of nice air conditioners. The first thing that we did, or one of the first things that we did, is I went to Google and I looked at the reviews, Right? If you're having somebody replace your air conditioner or your roof, what do you want? You want two-star reviews? No, nobody goes to the guy with two-star reviews. You want five-star reviews, right? Past performance is, is a good indicator of future success. right? I want the guy that's got five stars. I want to see people saying, oh, they, this was the best job I've ever seen done. In many ways, Christian, the Old Testament are the Google reviews. Of the gospel. Do you want to know how you can be sure that Christ will forgive you of your sins? Read the Old Testament and look at how God was faithful to His word and to His promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Daniel, to Isaiah, to Esther, to Ruth. If you want to know that we will have final and full victory over death, that we will live with Christ forever, Look to the fact that God brought his people through the Red Sea. And the same God that promised that he would bring the people of Israel, the children of Israel, safely through the Red Sea, has told us that he will bring us through the grave. If you want to know with confidence that Christ will return for his church, read the minor prophets where they tell us that Christ will come for the first time and how the gospel accounts tell us that he did come. Church, we have a promise that tells us the purpose of our salvation. We have a promise from God, and that promise is fulfilled ultimately in Christ. But Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, that doesn't just tell us that we have a promise. It doesn't just tell us that we have this thing that is said it will be done, and that in fact it is done. It also tells us that we have a God who keeps that promise. Again, in verse 13, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. The promise of God, the promise of his purpose of salvation, cannot be separated from God himself. So not only does the Bible, as we read all of it, show us the promises of God given and the promises of God fulfilled, it shows us who God is. And when we can trust who God is, when we know, as it says, that it is impossible for him to lie, that he is unchangeable, then we can know that this promise is steadfast and sure. Earlier this year, there was a a run on the Silicon Valley Bank, and, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of very wealthy people who had made deposits in this bank, they all ran to the bank. It was something of a panic, and, and they said, we got to get there, we got to get our money out, we got to get it now. So everyone ran to the bank, and the bank didn't have the, the money to, to give out, similar to what happened in, near the beginning of the Great Depression. And as we were hearing the news about this, what did we hear? Well, don't worry, those deposits are FDIC insured, right? Now, whenever you go to a bank, what do you look for? You look for that FDIC insured, up to $250,000, which, you know, okay, great. If you've got more than that in there, then good for you. But we look for that, right? Right? We don't just trust the bank. Like, the bank is good, but we want to know that somebody has the bank's back, right? Well, who has the back of the one that has the bank's back? Uh, ultimately, the government looks to the people for its, its validity, right? If, if we don't like the way that, that the government is running things, then, then, you know, you can go and vote and you can throw them out, right? We keep pushing it back and back and back. Whenever God made the promise, whenever God told Abraham, I will bless you and multiply you and keep you. Remember FDIC Federal Insurance up to $250,000. No, he said I will bless you and I will keep you. When it says that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have refuge, we have fled might have refuge, those two unchangeable things are one the plan and his purpose of the gospel, and to himself. God says, I will bless you and keep you. I will multiply you. He doesn't say, uh, you know, that person over there, they're going to bless you and keep you. No, he says, I will bless you and keep you. These are the two unchangeable things by which God guarantees his promise. God backs up his promise. Abraham, do you want to know how I'm good on my word? I am God. I am the Lord. Church, do you want to know how God is true to his word? Because he is God. He is the Lord. And in fact, he is himself the hope of the promise. Not only is he the one who gives the promise, he is ultimately the one back to whom the promise comes. As we see in verse 19 that our hope is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, that Hebrews has made very clear to us that Jesus is God. Church, we have a steadfast and we have a sure anchor for our soul. We have this as a steadfast and sure anchor of our soul, Jesus, the forerunner who has gone on on our behalf. Whatever that rock in your life is, it will will fail. All of our rocks are temporary. Yes, they might be good things, but they will fail and they will fall. The author of Hebrews, and in fact, all of the Bible wants us to understand That the object of our faith, that the promise that we have of God to bless us in Christ, in the gospel, is steadfast and sure. It can never be shaken. I want Gwen and Lucy and Corey to trust me. I want to be a good dad. I think anyone that's a father would say that, right? But I will mess up, I will fail. I want Gwen and Lucy to know that they can count on me. I tell Gwen all the time that she can marry the boy who loves her more than I do, and I washed her stinky diapers. We did cloth diapers. That was was rough. I love my children, as I'm sure all of you who have children do as well. And we want our children to count on us. But church, there's something that we should want even more, and even deeper than that, for our children, and in fact for ourselves. We should want them to trust in the promise. We should want them to trust in the promise keeper. Softball, baseball, PhDs, all these things are good. All these are wonderful things to build your life around. But all of them are ultimately fading. A few weeks ago, I had the chance at work to finally do this big project that I wanted. I've been talking about this project. I've been planning on this project for years. And I just needed someone to say, go for it. And I finally got to go ahead. And I did it. And boy, did it look great. Oh, it was fantastic. Everything was just how I wanted. I was, it was great. Look at me. I've done it. I leave for work. And then I take my, my two days off. And I come back in. And I start getting berated. That looks terrible. What were you thinking? This was a stupid idea. And I'm not saying that they were right to say these things. But there was multiple people who were saying these things. And they were just hurtful and they were, they were mean and they were ugly. And I just hung my head. And I remember you know, two of my friends at work, two people that I'm fairly close with. They said, oh, Clayton, your soul looks crushed. And you want to talk about having my soul crushed. It was crushed then. For people to to look at me and say, there's something visibly different about you. We can tell something's wrong with you because something you did, someone doesn't like. And I realized right then that, you know what my rock was? My rock was how good I am. How much people like me. My rock was how successful I am. And the minute that's challenged like the Jenga tower. It all fell over. And I was a pain to be around. It was sinful. Simply put. And I immediately, I I was convicted at that point. If I found my ultimate satisfaction, if I was finding my ultimate value, if I was leaning on Christ and the promises of the gospel, and I was leaning on Christ and all the blessings that I have in him, Whenever somebody says, I don't like what you did today, that would not crush me. Do you know why? Because my foundation wouldn't be crushed. Because nothing can crush the foundation. Because God has made the promise and God backs the promise. And the promise is Christ and the gospel. So what does the nature or what does the faith of the one who trusts in the promise look like? Well, I think there's a few things from our text here, and then again in Romans chapter 4. But one, the, the one who has faith in the promise waits patiently. Abraham did not live to see Christ. Abraham did not live to see the resurrection of the dead. Moses did not live to see the resurrection of the dead. Even these two men did not see, live to see the children of Israel walk into the land. But both trusted in God. And they said, I don't see how it's going to work out, God, but I will trust that you will do it. They waited patiently. Church, we have the fulfillment of the promise in Christ. But we still wait patiently. Whenever we think about the salvation of our children, whenever we think about as we struggle through this life, as we struggle through illness, through, through loneliness... We wait patiently, knowing that, okay, it's not happening today, but the same God who brought the promise eventually to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God who has promised me good in Christ, so I will endure. The one who has faith has an unshakable hope, a hope that enters in behind the character, I'm sorry, behind the curtain, When we look around at the world and and we watch the news, we're constantly reminded of the shakiness of everything around us. We're reminded of the shakiness of governments. We're reminded of the shakiness of banks as runs are made. We're reminded of the shakiness of the economy. Everything is shaky, and it seems even more so these days. But the promise and the promise giver are unshakable. And whenever our hope is on that... We can withstand anything. The one who has faith in Christ, the one who trusts in Him, will receive all the blessings of the promise. That's you. That's me. This isn't just for those people over there. It's not just for some people. This is for all who in faith receive Christ. And we receive the blessing of the promise. Now think about that. Abraham was fabulously wealthy. He was fabulously wealthy. God had made him fabulously wealthy. The scriptures make that clear to us, right? But that wasn't what he was waiting for. He was waiting for another blessing. So what's better? Lots of cattle on lots of hill, on lots of hills? Or a really big bank account? The nicest house on the block? Or forgiveness of sins in Christ? Everlasting life with him? and union with him by faith. Well, Abraham, he's going to tell you, it's Christ. He had all the other stuff, and that wasn't what he was looking for. He was looking for Christ. He was waiting for Christ. Church, we have Christ. We have a treasure hidden in jars of clay. But this treasure is worth infinitely more than we could possibly know Finally, the one who has faith receives the promise keeper himself. We are united to Christ. Our our, our faith takes our lives and it hides it in his as we sing in the hymn. So that whenever the storms of this life are, are, are beating down on us and they're bearing down on us, we have one who holds us. The blessings of the gospel are not simply eternal life. The blessings of the gospel are that we have joy in Christ himself. So church, because we have a steadfast and we have a sure anchor, build your life on the solid foundation of Christ. Perhaps for some of you today, that means that you no longer trust in yourself, like I am so often tempted to do. Maybe you're here today and you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You can put your faith in Christ. He is a sure and a steady anchor for your soul. Perhaps you're here today and you are acutely aware of the struggling and the suffering of life. Turn to Christ. Drive yourself deeper to him in times of trouble. If you have a building that's being battered about by the wind, the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to drive it deeper into its foundation. Church, that's what we ought to be doing. As we suffer, as we struggle, as we wonder why things are the way they are, we ought to pound nails the nails of our heart deeper into Christ so that we might not be shaken. And finally, church, demonstrate the unshakable nature of the promise, demonstrate the unshakable nature of the promise keeper by having a faith that is unshakable. Trust in Christ. Find your ultimate fulfillment in him. Look to him as trustworthy, not these other things. Don't have the same embarrassment I did by people saying, boy, your spirit looks crushed. Be able to say, my spirit is joyful. My spirit is strong. Because you have an unshakable faith and an unshakable promise from an unshakable promise keeper. Earlier we sang How Firm a Foundation. And I asked Eric to sing that song. I think that Isaiah 41 and Isaiah 43 are in the mind of Paul in this chapter. And I remember whenever I first learned that song, whenever I first learned to play it on the guitar and first learned to sing it, I was in perhaps the darkest moment of my life. Things were really, really bad. Or at least if you had asked me, I thought that they couldn't get any worse. I thought I had hit rock bottom. And weeping, I sang that song. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. And as I sang that song and as I wept, I said this this is the time where I really need this to be true. This is the time when I really need this firm foundation. And that foundation was firm. That foundation was secure. When I thought I had hit rock bottom, in fact, I was forced to cling to the rock. It was in the storm that I had to look to the steadfast and sure anchor and say, hold me fast. And church, I ask that you do the same. Scripture calls you to do the same. You have a sure and a steadfast anchor. Cling to it in the storms of your life. Cling to the promise of the gospel that you have Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us your word, that in your word you have shown us who you are and you have shown us what you have done and what you will do. We thank you for the promise of the gospel. We thank you that there is life in Christ. We, we can't right now go and rehearse all the benefits and the blessings that we have. But we know that we have them, and we know that we have them because of your promise to us, the promise for your glory and for our good. I pray that you will help us as believers here, as those who trust in Christ, to be driven deep into this foundation. I pray that as the storms of life buffet us, that we might cling fast to the sure and steady anchor of Christ. I pray that as people look at us and see our hearts and our lives, They will see us as those who have an unshakable promise from an unshakable promise keeper. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.